0: But this morning, we are going to be in John chapter 14, and if you have one of those red Bibles in front of you, that's the ones that are the best. Um, if you have um, your Bible app on your phone, we're going to be in the New Living Translation. If you have one of the black Bibles, they work just as good. They're just a little bit different. They're the NIV, uh, but they're still, it's a still a very good uh, version of the Bible as well. So um, I like I tend to like the New Living because it's a translation, and so it gets to the meaning of what the passage is about and not necessarily... Um, a word-for-word, literal translation, which is the King James version. Okay, so this morning, our message is on faith, and it's not necessarily the faith of Jesus' and his followers, but it's on the faith of God our Father. And, and the main point this morning is, is Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He was worthy to open the way back to the Father. Praise God for His redemption plan through His Son. So we're going to be in chapter 14, verses 1 through 5 uh, to start off with. It says, "Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, I would have told you that I uh, I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everybody is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am." and you will know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, said Thomas. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? A guy that's been with Jesus for three and a half years, and he says, Lord, we don't, we don't know the way. How, how do we get there? I get it, and I don't get it all at the same time. Part of it, the reason why I don't get it is because I've seen the end of the story, right? Part of the reason why I get it, is because sometimes I can get locked into tunnel vision on my vision and my version and not Jesus' vision and version, right? So he's going to prepare a place for us, right? It says, when everybody's ready, I didn't put this in the sermon, but I think if you look at Revelation, we look at that, and we look for the time of the Gentiles. He does talk about that. So when there's enough Gentiles to fill up what he has deemed um, worthy of heaven, that's when he's coming back um, again the second time. So that's what we're waiting for, okay? So faithful God, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, it's interesting, if you look at that, it's a command. Don't let your heart be troubled. That might be one of the hardest commands in the Bible. Don't let your heart be troubled. And that's tricky. This would have been a difficult statement for the disciples to hear because what we just learned, that Peter was told that he is going to deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed and we also know that Jesus just left to betray Jesus. The other disciples didn't know that was going on. They thought there was going on a errand, but that's what's happening at this time. Jesus is still faithful. He is still excuse me. He's still watching over his people and going over all the things that needs to, need to happen. On top of that, He's pulled the disciples over three different times and says, we're going into Jerusalem. The Jewish leadership's going to hand them over to the Romans, and they are going to kill me. Guess what? They're in Jerusalem right now. So anytime they go to Jerusalem, they're not too crazy about this. They're not sure what he means by this, but they don't want to believe that's what's going to happen. And so Jesus then goes into this wedding covenant language which they would have recognized right away but it doesn't fit with what they just told a best man wouldn't betray him at his wedding why are you bringing this up there's confusion and then he says they know the way and they're like um i hate to be rude but no i don't (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about jesus What you say, the words move, and they just keep bouncing off my ears, my head, because I don't want to acknowledge that you're going to have to die and be raised again. What I want is an earthly kingdom. I want to be established here. I want the power now. I want the money now. I want the praise now. And that's hard. It's hard on us human souls, isn't it? Because God says, don't be troubled. What? Don't be troubled? What did Jesus mean? Well, for those answers, we've got to go back to Genesis, okay? If you ever look at the book of John, you should really study it with the book of Genesis because they have so many parallels as they go through, right? There's a guy named Abram in, in the, whom God turned into Abraham, okay? It was kind of at his baptism, okay? He says, you are now... Not Audra, but you're Audraham. And she brings him out of the water, right? You know, I don't know. That's not, that's not really how it happened. But, um, but that's kind of what happened in Abraham's case, right? Because in that case, that's where God knew that Abram had totally surrendered to God. It's going to say, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, but you're going to see it in one child. Okay? You're going to see it in Isaac. So what does Abraham do? He waits for God to do his thing. No, he tries to help God out. He's like, well, I can't have kids, so I'm going to have, and he ends up having Ishmael, right? Well, who do we know? Ishmael and the Ishmaelites, they're still warring with the Israelites today, aren't they? Interesting. And if you look at the other fathers, because after Sarah dies, he marries again, or he has more kids after that all those nations are also warring with Abraham as well. Abraham's kids, Israelites, the Hebrews. Interesting there as well, huh? So God looks at this. He's like, I'm going to make a covenant with Abraham. And you see this covenant in chapter 12. You see it in chapter 15, 17, and 18, a little bit of 19 as well. He makes a covenant and then he expounds on it or he reassures them, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. It's going to be good. So he has refined the covenant down from all humanity because he tried a covenant with all humanity, right? What happened? In, in just a couple of chapters before that, we see the flood, right? God had to flood the whole world because man was so wicked all the time. He had to start over with the one guy that hadn't corrupted himself all the way, which was Noah. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing for you. They start, we're going to make a tower that goes all the way to the heavens because we have a new invention. You know what that new invention was? The brick. Yeah, The brick. It was amazing. Yay, brick, right? I'm glad we don't have new technologies that take over our lives today, right? Man, I mean, I have total control of my cell phone, right? And it's like, oh, tears. You know, they, they have the brick. It just shows you it's a heart condition. It's a human condition. It is not, it's something that um, through the power of the Lord, we can have control over that too as well, right? And so, even something as funny as a brick. I wonder if they made telephones with bricks. You ever wonder that? And they're like, put a cord on it. And Just kidding. Probably did. Right? But they were corrupted by the brick we're gonna, the brick because we're going to build this tower and we're going to reach up to heavens and we're going to do that. And God confused them with the languages of their mouth. And so they had to disperse. And he says that was dispersed, but it's not enough. We've got to refine it more. And we're going to go down to this one specific family member who was... Abram was Abram anything special? The only thing I know that was special about Abram, he probably wasn't corrupted by anything I'll say supernatural. Okay? His bloodline was pure. Okay? Because at this point in time, I don't know with Abram's generation, but before the flood, pre-flood, that's one of the reasons why they had to get rid of everybody's because demons were corrupting the bloodline. And so, in this case, Abraham was pure. Was Abraham the best guy to pick because he was the holiest guy to pick? (laughs) No. What about after he changed his name to Abraham? Surely he was sinless because he had a relationship with God, right? No, he actually does the exact same thing again with another person. He's like, Sarah, tell him that you're my sister and... And then that way they won't kill me because I'm scared for my life, right? What's God, what's Jesus tell the disciples? Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. You see the parallel there? Interesting, huh? And as he goes, God restores Abraham back in his standing once again. I just wonder how if Abraham would have had the faith would have um, developed into. But we do know that Abram had faith because we see in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed the Lord and counted him as righteousness because of his faith. Think about this guy. Somebody out there says, Shane, go to a place that I've told you. I'm not going to be anxious to pick up all the stuff I got and move. Right? We're talking thousands of miles here and Um, He went partway with his dad. They got to a place he settled down. And God said, Abram, I want you to keep going. And he kept going to the place where God showed him, which is the promised land Uh, today. He promises him that as well. And then he gets into, so God says, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah, who he changed her name to as well. So it went from Sarah without an H to Sarah with an H. That's why you see that change there. And the story is kind of summed up like this. God visits Abraham or Abram in chapter 17. And he says, Abram, I'm going to establish this covenant with you. All you have to do is be blameless and perfect. That's all you got to do. And then we can be in covenant with one another. Abram falls face down on the ground before the angel of the Lord, and he's like, I can't do that. I am always going to be blameful and not holy and imperfect. I cannot enter this covenant with you. That was his faith. Do you see that? He understood. He surrendered There's a point of surrender to the Lord. God changes his name to Abraham. You're going to be a father of many nations. Did Abraham see that in his lifetime? No, he did not. He saw one kid that was going to give his promise. Through that one kid, they saw two kids, right? Through those two kids, God picks out one. His name was Jacob, which means liar, right? Yay, go Jacob, (laughs) I named my kid Jake. Great. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, but, right, he changes his name to Israel, right? And that's where we get the Israelites. This same, very similar conversion as we have to Abraham. Okay. So God knows this is going to happen too. God changes him to father many nations, and he enters this everlasting covenant, which he has at this point in chapter 17 as circumcision. Okay. This, so everything goes right, right? Abraham's the best guy ever. No, no, he goes to Abimelech and he does the same thing he did to the king of Egypt. He says, this is my sister. He's like, why, why did you do this? Because God puts a curse on Abimelech, right? And and then he said, why didn't you just tell me she was your wife? I wouldn't have done anything. I haven't done anything, so I don't have to. Fortunately, God came to him in a dream, and, and stopped him, right? Because he wasn't going to corrupt that bloodline either, right? It was faith. Sarah, at this point, is nearly 90, and she becomes 90. When she's 90, she has Isaac. That's a miracle in itself. Do we see another miracle similar to that in the New Testament? Yes, we do. It's Zechariah has John the Baptist when they were well along in their years. Okay, interesting as well. This, Abraham, he messes up. And when God changes Abraham's name, it's God's way of claiming Abraham as his own. It's showing that God is faithful, not necessarily that Abraham is faithful, right? That God, Abraham was declaring that God is his God, much like we have in baptism today. Now, spring forward to John 14, verses 2 to 4. It says, There will be more and enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everyone is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am, and you will know the way and where I am going. This is the wedding covenant language, folks. Jesus is opening the door of the church to be his bride. But the Israelites, the Jews, they would understand this language as having chosen them as his bride, which they were. But God also presented up when Jesus dies on the cross for the, for the church as a whole to come in, Gentiles as well. Because as, an, as adulterous as the Israelites have been, God is sending his son to be the payment of this wedding covenant by the shedding of his blood to fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham clear back a thousand or so years earlier with Abraham. God fills that covenant and then he opens a new covenant for us to be part of his kingdom as well. Isn't that awesome? Somebody explain that to me and I was just like, Oh, yeah, the new covenant, right. That was mind-boggling for me, that that he closed the book on the one, opened it up for all. He didn't necessarily say no Jewish people can come in. He says all people can come in, right? Are God's people still the Jewish people? Yes, they are. They're still set apart and holy. They still have a part to play in the end times. And they are still special in his sight. Uh, But he's also opened that up as well to the rest of the church That we can be with him. Which he always did from the beginning. But the Jewish people were supposed to set the example. And they weren't doing that. The Jewish people, they couldn't remain faithful. Only God has remained faithful in the covenant. God says, I can fix that too because I'm a loving God. I care for my people. And I care for mankind. Jesus, I want you to go down there. I want to finish what Abram started. I want you to finish What Adam started, right? He was supposed to have this relationship with Adam, and Adam fell short. Take the sin on the cross and rescue humanity from their sin. In John 14, Jesus is warning his 11 disciples that are left, I'm about to rescue all humanity from sin. What was Jesus doing? He was going to the grave. He was going to defeat the power of sin and death by raising to new life because he was perfect and blameless, just like he had established with Abram. All you have to do is be perfect and blameless. Abram says, I can't do that. It's impossible for me. God says, I know. Anything that's impossible for man is possible with God. Jesus says that, actually. And Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice and dies for you and I, just like the covenant required Back at the beginning, because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, He was worthy to open the way back to the Father. Praise God for His redemption plan through His Son. Now let's read verses four and five again before we get into six and seven. It says, "Now the you and you know the way where I am going." Uh, no, we don't, Lord," said Thomas. "We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way?" Jesus says, "I am the way." the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, can come to the Father except through me. If you had already known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What did he just declare? He just declared himself as God, right? To his disciples. He's either a lunatic Crazy, a liar, or it's the truth. It's one of the truth, right? He's either Looney Tunes or he's the real thing. So we have assurance in the hope yet revealed. Guess what? That's the definition of faith. It's like putting faith again for your blank right there. It's crazy. Assurance in the hope yet revealed. Know where you're going. How am I supposed to know that? See the Father? I haven't seen the Father. And you know what they say? Seeing is believing, right? Seeing is believing. That old phrase, well, do you know that's exactly opposite of faith? Seeing is knowing. It's not believing. Seeing is knowing. Seeing is fact, okay? Seeing is having the facts in front of you, presenting the facts, and then, and then going, okay? But that's not faith. That's about as opposite of faith as you can get. Faith has just a little bit of doubt in there. So you have to look at everything. You have to look at the big pictures. Otherwise, it would be fact. Basically, it would be the circumstantial evidence of the case. Okay, we have eyewitnesses, but we don't have a dead body, Right, Jesus is risen again. He's not in the tomb anymore, so we don't have a dead body. We have eyewitnesses to the account. We have something that's amazing in all the other witnesses that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says 500 people saw that afterwards and things. So the outlining truths that we have to go on today, they develop our faith. It's 2,000 years ago this happened, right? And so faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, let me give you a great vacation example of faith. So we're about ready to go on vacation this summer right and we had to wait for VBS to happen and worn down by the mighty power of VBS as we were we declared to our youngest daughter that we were going to Michigan on vacation about a month too soon right because what happens about a month too soon to a girl that doesn't understand the concept of time which she by the way learned this summer right She's like, "Are we going tomorrow? Are we going tomorrow? Are we going now? Are we going now? Are we going? When are we going?" You know, she thought we we're going to Michigan. We're done with VBS. We're going to Michigan, and she wanted to know when we were going to leave. And we had about a month—about a month—of her asking, and when we need to go. Needless to say, that was that concept of time that was learned. But she had the confidence that we were going on vacation. And she had the hope that it was going to be a great time. She knew vacation equals a good time. So she had faith that we were going to have a good time on vacation. But what she couldn't grasp was what vacation truly held for her until she experienced it. But she had faith that we were going to go, that it was going to be a good time, we are going to do it as a family, and that it was going to be fun. But what she really wanted was to experience vacation, right? And that's like us with our our faith. Well, if God would just show up, if he would just reveal himself to us, then I would know I could experience that relationship with him, and I would know what it means to have that. But God says, put your faith in me first, and then you will understand the experience He wants us to make the first move, even though behind the scenes, he's making all the moves. He's making all the moves. We just don't necessarily see it yet. But when we make a move, then he shows up in a bigger way. That's what faith is all about. Okay? Faith is trusting it's going to happen, but we're not sure of all the details, right? Okay, that's a simplified version of faith. This is what Jesus is calling us to when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You don't understand now, but in about three and a half days, you're going to have a very good indicator of what's going to happen. Right? And three and a half days is about when Jesus raises from the dead and defeats death. And not only has he beat the power of sin, he's beat the power of death. And nothing can hold Jesus down because he is worthy and blameless and perfect to go back to heaven to stand and advocate for us at the Father's right hand. Right? You guys know what an advocate is? Somebody that is standing on your behalf next to the judge that is going to help us out, right? That's what Jesus does on our behalf when we surrender to him. I think, though, we get caught up in the look at me or my goodness, and sometimes we miss the point. Because we turn to our self-righteousness, we turn to our own glory to say, Lord, look, I've done good enough, but good enough is not good enough in God's holiness because holiness means without sin and once one sin is entered in our life it separates us from God the Heavenly Father, right? And that's difficult. It's difficult because as we get into it we want to see, um, we want to be able to get good enough to be with God but we can't do that unless we surrender to Jesus and he opens the way for us. So the point is not us; it is Jesus. We need to have faith in Jesus, and where it starts—that's because that's where it starts. Because it says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. When we step up to the plate and we seek God. He will find us. All you got to do is ask, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Reveal yourself to us. So what does your search pattern look like? Are you only looking at your good deeds? Are you only looking at the wonderful things that you've done? Because God can't be in the presence of sin and blame and imperfection. He has to look at the whole picture, doesn't he? He has to look at the good and the bad, and the bad is what's keeping us out of heaven, and the only way to cure the bad is to cover it with the blood of Jesus Christ because he is the only way to the Father. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He has chosen to have relationship with each one of us, but we need to choose To have a relationship back with him. Right? It is our choice. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He was worthy to open the way back to the Father. Praise God for his redemption plan through his son. What a gruesome plan it was. But he is holy and just and faithful. And he is walking us through this. Let's read verses 8 through 11. Chapter 14. As we finish off this section that we're going to read this or study this morning. Philip says, "Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied." Jesus replied, "Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So you are asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak" Are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. If you can't see it by the words I've done, look at the miracles. Look at I have answered all these festivals that we've had through the book of John. It really is a study of the festivals. And Jesus is the answer to each one of those. So I put doubt in the process. Do we ever have doubt in our faith? Sometimes, sometimes it's easy to get doubt, doubting. When I focus on myself, I doubt. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to get in there. That's exactly right. I am never going to be good enough to get into heaven. Praise God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was good enough to, be, to die on my behalf, to rescue me from my sin. And as a coach, we're always looking to see how our pr- players, how they buy into our system. I coach volleyball, I coach softball um, at the junior high level, and we want to see Where we're going to go as a team, and they want to see where we're going to go as a team, right? But as a coach, I want to see, are they willing to sacrifice to get there? Are they willing to go 100% buy into the process? Do they come up short of their full potential that I can see in their life? If they would have done XYZ early on, they would have been here at ABC to win the championship. And with junior high girls, you know, a lot of that has to come down to relationships. Yay! And so you gotta, you got to work this system in twofold with junior high girls. And I really think you have to do that with any, any team. Um, maybe it's a blessing that junior high girls, you get to see it on their sleeve a little bit more. If they make mistake, are they willing to be corrected? Are they doing the extra reps after they see how it's paid off in the last game, are they willing to put in the extra time? When we see the sacrifice, are, we, are they willing to buy in to the program? Or do they give up before they even start? It's kind of like when your coach tells you to lift weights. Just saying. <laughs> Love you, Audra. Uh, there's... There can be several reasons for falling short, though. There can be several reasons. And we see this in our life today, right? Maybe we don't put forth the effort because we see the goal as unachievable. We can never do that. That is not our school. That is not our mentality. We can never make it that far. And so we believe a lie before we even get started. I'll never be good enough to get to heaven. I'll never own up you know that's a lie straight from hell because guess what that's actually the truth because we will never be good enough but it's not about us the focus is not on us it's on jesus christ our personal lord and savior and he is the one that's good enough and when we surrender to him that's how we get to heaven right sometimes they don't want to do it because they're lazy They don't appreciate the prize because they're not willing to sacrifice, and that's because they didn't buy in the program all the way. Sometimes, as a coach, my program is too hard, too difficult for the the student that I have, and so I have to simplify the goals and the process, right? And so it, it is an ebb and flow between coach and player to get to where we want to go and what we want to achieve. And this doubt, it doesn't always come at, all at once. Sometimes it's because maybe we're not winning in life. Maybe it's because we're not winning on the court. Maybe because we're not destroying teams that we should be able to beat easily. Maybe it's because we get destroyed teams that shouldn't have even scored on us. And that's how it is in life as well. Many times we think we should be winning at this thing, at our job, at our family, at our relationships, and we keep falling short. And a lot of times that is because we don't surrender to the ultimate coach, to the ultimate um, one who's got our expectations in there. And we allow doubt and fear to creep in. And this is much like our faith walk. And if you see in Psalms 119, 105, the Lord promises his word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, he helps us see the next step. He has a destination all lit up. A lamp unto my feet. I can see the next step I need to go. Whether it's your career, maybe it's what classes I'm going to take in high school next year. Maybe it's the, it's the friends group that I want to get in. Do I want to be cool or do I want to be steady? And sometimes those don't always go to the same groups of friends, do they? But he also gives us a destination. When Jesus went up to heaven, he lit the way. This is where we go. This is our end goal. We, we all want to get to heaven this is how you get it. How do I get to heaven? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to get to heaven. Okay? He made it simple, but it's not difficult in the destination unless I lose focus. It's not d- difficult in the next step unless I start to make my own path. Right? The problem's not in Jesus. The problem is in me. I I like a sheep who wanders. we all are like sheep that wander astray, but he's the one that brings us back. But we got to focus our aim also on other places. In Ephesians chapter six, verse twelve and thirteen, the beginning of that it says We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. One of those pieces of armor is the helmet of salvation. We know that we know that we know that God has relationship with us and he is not going to give it away. We have the shield of faith that's going to block the arrows of the enemy because we know that we know that we know. We can apply that to our faith and we can walk forward and not back. Resist and, and refocus. Resist The doubt. Rebuke it in Jesus' name because we know. Remember what he has done for us in the past. Remember what he is doing for us. And refocus on the correct opponent, which is Satan, which is sometimes even ourselves. Refocus on the correct goal. Remembering that we have a destination of heaven. We want to be in relationship with Christ. What does that look like? I got to find out. I'm going to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because that's where I find out how to be like Jesus. Doubt in the process is not wrong in itself. Doubt in the process is not wrong in itself. It just means we need to dig a little deeper. We need to discover what God has done and we need to re-examine the process, study it for the next step. It means we have to be reminded of the goal and run as one who wants to win the prize. Jesus is so much more than a coach. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. We got to find out is Jesus the real deal? How can we do that? There's a lot of resources out there to do that. One great resource is a book called um, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's a very easy read. It reads like a newspaper article because he wrote for the newspaper, for the News Tribune. And it is a really good kind of mystery that he helped solve. And he brings you to conclusion. He allows you to choose for yourself. Here's the facts. Here's the circumstantial evidence. And it comes down to this. One of his points is is either Jesus is a liar and that's how it is. If that's the case, if you believe in him, no sweat, no big deal, no harm, no foul, right? We're all going to the same place when we die anyway. But if he's right, if he really was God, if he really did resurrect from the grave, if he really did go to heaven, if he really is the son of God... We have somebody we need to reckon to. That's what Jesus is getting down to. I am fulfilling this covenant. I am the sacrifice of this covenant. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you're going to see it in three and a half days. I promise you that. We only have one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, my friend The choice is yours to make. I cannot make it for you. We saw four that made that choice for Jesus Christ. I made sure. I don't baptize people unless I know that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you do that? It starts like this you admit that you're a sinner. I've screwed up, I am full of blame, I'm imperfect. I have sin on my ledger, Lord, and I can't make it right. There's nothing I can do to make it right. And so I surrender to your love. I surrender to your grace. Why is it grace? Because it should be punishment, shouldn't it? And he says, I'm pulling the punishment away because you've surrendered to my son and you're going to make this amazing. And then you ask Jesus to come into your life and be in relationship with him today. If you ask God to show up, God's going to reveal himself to you. If you start reading his word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are a good place to start. You're going to find that that's a good way to see how Jesus shows up in your life. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is worthy to open the way back to the Father for us. Praise God for his redemption plan through Jesus His son, We have an opportunity this morning. If you want to talk about starting your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to be right up here as we go down um, for the potluck. I'm going to go ahead and pray for the food. I'm going to go ahead and release you there. But if you want to talk about that, you can talk to me, you can talk to Craig, you can talk to any one of the elders, the other Craig. (laughs) Um, Josh is downstairs and the kids, if you're comfortable talking with him. And um, we have a way to to, to do that this morning. So um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing sacrifice. How much you love us, Lord. You are a jealous God, and you pursued us to the point that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, to rescue us from this present evil age. Lord, you've ushered in this age of grace that allows us to have our own way to have our own free will but or we can choose you and do it so much more with so much more freedom with the peace that passes understanding with the joy that comes explodes out of our heart that fulfills our life you and you alone lord give that and you give it in abundance lord i pray that you will reveal that to hearts and minds today as we come before you, a a perfect God in our imperfection, surrendering to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless um, the meal that is prepared for us downstairs. I pray that you would uh, guide our conversations toward fellowship and toward blessings uh, this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. You can either go downstairs that way or you can go back all the way around the back way if you would like. So thank you for your kind attention.